Welcome to Atypical, an offbeat take on news in the addiction recovery field. I'm co-host Mary Crocker-Cook from the San Jose City College Alcohol and Drug Studies Program. Be sure and subscribe. And I'm co-host Gary Montreza, Executive Director of Pathway Society in San Jose. Our purpose is to both educate and entertain. With recent news and stories about addiction field, we've set our podcast up in sections that include drugs, news, an ethics challenge, and prevention. You, you know... Yeah. Can I interrupt for a minute? You certainly can. With a, another, a couple new segments. Oh, oh, uh, new segment uh, alert. New, okay. New segment alerts. Okay. Uh, one, we want to, I, I just want to get your permission. I, I, to our audience, we've been on a tour, a podcast tour in Europe. We have. So we've been off for a bit. Yeah. We were invited by, we'll get into that later. We'll tell you about that next week. <laughs> but um, we, we, this was a request. Oh. The Sackler Files. Oh, the Sackler. So, so that's going to be one. Okay, the and then, Sackler you know, Files. we always have to bring in a little bit of, of listener uh, comments. Okay. So I have a listener comment. Oh, you do? Like oh, to, yeah. yeah. Over here. here. I right. love when they oh, write here in. Here we go. Okay. So, uh, dear podcast people, <laughs> my wife and I have a teething newborn oh. who falls uh, immediately asleep when he hears your voice. <laughs> we thought the program was a bit boring. <laughs> And so we stopped listening until we realized our newborn sleeping pap problems were, were, were increasing. Wow. Thank you so much for what you, you have done for our family. So there you go. We got your back, Anonymous. Man. We got your back. child. I, may you sleep Exactly. We got you. Thank you. Oh, Thank right. You. That's a great comment. <laughs> that means they're keeping listening, you know. They are. And who knows a baby will, you know, will implant something in there, you know? I mean, some people play Beethoven and stuff. That's right. And this family chose to listen to our podcast. Aren't we lucky? To enhance their little sprog. Exactly. (laughs) So you you want to start with the Sackler? I do. I I love the Sackler. It sounds like a great segment. Yeah, yeah, Sackler Sackler file, the Sackler uh, segment, however you want to look at it. You know, uh, the Sacklers is really America's <laughs> first family. If you want to look at America's rampant capitalism and all that, and if you're not f- familiar with the Sacklers, <laughs> you might be familiar with Purdue Pharma. Oh, that's and, right. Yes, and so they're the folks that uh, have bestowed oxycontin. Yes, on, they have. On they're the oxycontin people. And the oxycontin people. Yeah. So. <laughs> This is out of the Washington Post. This was in June, the beginning of June. If there was a quote, most wanted when it comes to the country's opioid addiction crisis, it might be the Sackler family oh. and this company, Purdue Pharma. Wow. That's called a burn. Oh. So uh, the maker proxy cotton, of course we know, is on the brink of bankruptcy. That's so sad. Really? That's so sad. Oh, right now. don't be sad yet, because I'm going to oh, tie okay. a couple articles together and maybe okay. you'll get it. So California, Maine, Hawaii, District Columbia, there's a bunch of lawsuits, of course, wow, that are coming yeah. down. Yeah. Um, the latest uh, states to go after the company, um, West Virginia, Maryland, Kansas, Iowa, Wisconsin, New Jersey. New Jersey, oh, that's going to oh. be tough. Yeah. So the truth is, quote, the start of this crisis can be traced back to Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family and their pursuits of profit. This is from wow. our esteemed uh, California Attorney General, Javier uh, Becerra. And so, you know, they're also trying to go after President uh, Richard Sackler, and they're suggesting he acted illegally and encouraging widespread use of, okay. of, of course, as okay. you know. Uh, now, to be fair, um, Purdue's not the only, you know, drug make company that has... That's true. It just happens to be the first family. The first family. <laughs> and so this is one part I wanted to point out to you. So much of the spotlight, of course, is on Purdue. 
because um, they've really behaved badly. Yes, so they have behaved Sacklers badly. appear to have profited handsomely from sales of OxyContin, with evidence that members of the family, hold on to your, your, your small I'll grab children. grab my pearls, yes. Wake up, little teeth, child. <laughs> uh, transferred at least $4 billion. Billion with a out B. of the company. Oh. And into their own personal accounts over about half a decade. Now, a better way to say half a decade is say within five years. Wow. How about five years? The last five years they've transferred. That's right. B with a billion. Billion. Four wow. billion. So then let me let me reference another article for the from the Center of Responsive Politics, which you, is also known as OpenSecrets.org. If you want to know where money is funneling into different, you know, people, uh, representatives, you can find. Oh, out. okay, yeah. So, um, according to Forbes, um, this is 2016, the Sacklers are, you know, the 19th richest family in America. Okay. Worth about... 19th? Yeah, I okay. know. What's that? Worth $13 billion. Wow. So, I put it at this. They made another $4 billion in five years. Wow. They increased their income by 33%, a third. Wow. A more than yeah. That. So, I don't know any of us that have been able to do that. Yeah, so I haven't. <laughs> I know how you, you therapists live, and it's really, it's questionable. It's Where do you true. get all that money? Yeah, I know. Why We're so, so high on the hog. Why so many power tools? What's going on? You know, and, and so I'm just gonna I'm gonna point out one little thing here, okay? And then I'll be quiet. I'm not gonna go you, through how much money is pouring into the pockets of both Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, mostly I know. Republicans, but let's be honest, it's both. But how this is really insidious is. You look at a family like this, very high profile. The Louvre is a little museum. Wow. Uh-huh. The Guggenheim, that's a picture. Okay, Guggenheim. New York, Columbia University, Metropolitan Museum of Art. You know, so they contribute a lot of money to, to, to Harvard, Yale, wow. all these places. And so I just call that out because during the next segments of the Sackler Files, we're going to start piecing together how this is like a metastasized cancer. Wow. That wealth is really, um, I'd say, a risk factor for the folks we work with. Oh, that's a, that's an Distribution of wealth is a risk factor. Oh, for so says my favorite social justice again, here we lawyer. Go. So let me switch into this this next story that kind of proves my point. Okay, a bit. but first, before we can do that, yes, yes. before we do that, yes. we need to look at why, would, why would you use that to get high? Thanks for reining me back, Maggie, to rein in because I know you get all excited with the social justice. Oh, so right. but but I don't want you to miss this, Gary, because today's offering is oh. Burt's Bees chapstick. Okay, wait, now. Wait a minute, I use that. I, I use okay. That, like well, a lot. Okay. All the time. Oh, well, Gary, no. I, we need to talk because lip balm addiction is frequently debated in dermatology and psychology. Apparently, lip balm addiction is a real phenomenon. Dr. Janet Pertowski told that people who become dependent on lip balm develop a sensitivity to components in it, and the sensitivity leads to a reaction in the lips that adds to a chapped feeling in their lips, which makes them think they need to use more lip balm. And in fact, this dependence can seriously affect the quality of their daily lives. In fact, there is an entire website that you may want to, might want to check out called Lip Balm Anonymous. Lip Balm Anonymous. Anonymous, a forum for people who suffer from extreme lip balm dependence. Laba. So okay. here's an example. Burt's Bees Original Peppermint was Carrie Dougherty's preferred brand when her lip balm usage went off the rails. I 
remember putting it on my lips and putting the tube down. I found myself absentmindedly reaching for the tube later, she explained. It was so bizarre. I thought, wait, I just put on chapstick multiple times in the last few minutes. That's all I can remember. And I was suddenly aware I had this problem. And Carrie's crisis hit in the middle of a meeting. Until then, nobody knew she had a problem. I could put some on very quickly and they wouldn't notice. But in reality, she was using her lip balm up to 300 times per day. Wow. Now, Carrie never had an issue with substance abuse. As a teenager, she avoided drugs and alcohol, but she recognized something about her lip balm usage wasn't entirely normal. She said, even if it became absorbed in my lips even a little bit, I'd have to reapply. If I didn't, I'd start licking, 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 licking my lips. And then I felt anxious and thick. So some people are wondering if this might be OCD. (laughs) But we do. I know. But you said, you know. Dr. Pilong offers several common sense questions to ask you to judge for yourself whether you may have a dependence on lip balm, Gary. So here we go. Well, use it once. Do you apply it very frequently? Do you have to carry it with you at all times? Do you have it stashed all over your purse, your car, your bedroom, your bathroom? No. Do you spend a lot of money on it? Yeah. Have your friends or family commented on your frequent use and spending on it? <laughs> do you go out of your way to make to make yourself late to get more? To get more. And do you have trouble concentrating or enjoying your life because you cannot take your mind off the need to reapply it? Now, now there just, you go. You're punking me. I am not punking you. It is a real thing. There is Lip Balm Anonymous. Because that's anyone that's been in a middle school knows... That middle school girls carry every type of known thing for substance, substance <laughs> put on their lips all the time. Yes, they do. But 300 times a day. Yeah, that can be. That's a bit excessive. But is that a symptom or well, a cause? It was, it was really interrupting Kara's life. How many people you poor think woman. Well, enough to have enough to have a website. Afflicted by okay. uh, We'd have to check it out. But I'm just alerting you because particularly now that I know you use it. Well, uh, we twice, need to be on a year. We need to. <laughs> when do I use it? I don't know. If I'm in the I don't know, Carrie, but I'm gonna start watching you in a meeting. And my lips get you know chapped. I'm, I'm gonna have my eye on you at the next next uh, board meeting. Yeah. <laughs> when when I, you have to step out of the office frequently to get yourself a little lip balm. You'll know those problems <laughs> when I start, you know, scrolling messages on the mirrors. You know. Bathrooms with the lip balm. That's completely obscure. I've never heard of such Well, there you go. Look, you know, that's my job is to this, bring it to you. Yeah, you bring it to there you. There you go. You're like, wow. <laughs> I'm floored. You know? There it is. You know, this is what our tour in in Europe yielded. Uh, exactly. This is where we've hit. We we, we have been exposed to even We're more t- ways to get high. get high. That's right. I You know, I would say that probably maybe people, if they infused their lip balm with something, no, that's that a good idea. A that could be a market. Oh gosh, we just thought of a we product. just thought of a new product. If we were devious like the Sacklers, we, could do that. <laughs> yeah. we need to buy Burt's bees immediately. Wait, let's get Jewel involved. Let's get Jewel involved. Jewel involved. <laughs> only for adults. It's only really. It's only for adults. Kids. <laughs> Nicotine Don't laced. Yeah. Built ball. No vaping. No, no, no. We don't. It's just for adults. It's just for adults. Try our new cookie dough flavor. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. So let's see the intersection of the next se- the next uh, section here. News and addiction. News and addiction. Okay. So you we just you took the information from the Sackler segment. Okay. And now let's go into news and addiction. So here's the here's a very interesting article actually. Um, defendants on probation can be jailed for drug relapse court rules. Oh. Now. 
This is interesting. It is because it's a disease, Gary. It's a disease, isn't it? So I'm so glad you said that. So this this article brings up all kinds of intersecting, you know, you know points and things to consider. So this is in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, unanimously ruled that a judge can require defendants with substance disorders to remain drug free as a condition of probation and send them to jail if they relapse. So let's take a minute and oh, laugh wow. our, our bums off. Okay. Because when I when I read that first line, I thought, three words, we're on drugs. And then the other sec one I thought of is, just say no. And <laughs> just say no. And we know how well those work. <laughs> oh, and add the D.A.R.E. program, too, if you oh, really yeah, yeah. want to get saucy yeah. about it. There you, know? you go. So the case was challenged the requirement that routinely imposed uh, by judges across the country. It, it was closely watched by folks like us, sure. prosecutors and, sure. and, and folks that are in this business and trying to serve people. The defense argued that addiction is chronic, relapsing brain disease that uh, you know compromises an individual's ability to abstain. Yeah. That's about right. That's about it? right. The prosecution maintained that, uh, wake up little um, infant right now, <laughs> addiction varies in intensity and that many individuals have the ability to, to overcome it and can be influenced by institutional penalties and rewards like incarceration or cleared criminal record. Let that sink in. Okay, so we all know that, yeah, the threat of jail keeps people from using. That yeah. certainly has been what we've learned in the war on drugs. It's our <laughs> primary strategy in all of our residential facilities and outpatient. We, that's the first thing we say. We do. We, we can clear your criminal record and they straighten up. They like write like that. As soon as, we, as soon as we even mention they could go to jail, mm -hmm. they just put down the crack pipe. It's really that's right. about that simple. <laughs> Reunite with their family. Did you know this could happen? I never knew this. So, um... While acknowledging, this is the beauty of it, acknowledging experts who weighed in on each side, the seven justices, seven of these clowns, I'm sorry. Wow, in, justices. Justices. In the Supreme Judicial Court decide, uh, declined to take a stance on in the debate. Instead, they said the defendant in this case should have raised the issue when her probation condition was first imposed and when it could have been fully argued before a trial judge. So to me, they're saying, well, you should have told us when you came to court the first time. That you had a problem with this. Yeah, we could have talked about this then. To me, that's blaming the victim. It is blaming the victim. You know, so. Like, she's supposed to know the judicial process. Exactly. You know, and she's just the poor person suffering from this, this uh, illness. So I don't know if I want to read what this one other judge said. Um, but essentially, they're saying they, they want the flexibility to tailor individual probation and, and rehabilitation and all that. Right. And, and this is a, a point that I do agree with. They do have to make sure... Well, this is their point. We're on the front lines of the opioid epidemic and are faced with difficult decisions that are especially unpalatable. And what they mean by that is public safety versus right. rehabilitation. Exactly. So uh, I challenge that idea. Um, communities and families are on the front line as, as, as well as the folks yes, suffering. Um, we're just dealing with the end results of not yeah. approaching this with, from a public health standpoint. But that aside, um, let's continue. So this, this woman, Julie... Eldred, uh, she's now 30. She was convicted of larceny. She was stealing drugs and stuff. Okay. You know. Stealing to buy drugs? Yeah, yeah. That's normal. Uh, yeah, it is. I do that all the time. Uh, district Judge Kafer, well, <laughs> I heard it was gardening tools. <laughs> okay, Kafer, Home Depot, I'm banned yeah, from Home Depot. Kafer, years probation. <laughs> she, she's facing a 30-month sentence for violating conditions of probation. 30-month for violating 30 probation? Ah, that's, Jesus, that, that's not right. Because, well, let's go back to what they said. We know that... 
institutional penalty rewards like incarceration or criminal a clear criminal. It works. Wow. It works. It works. So anyway, wow. This poor woman uh, was enrolled. She began taking Suboxone and then reduced cravings and such. She was in outpatient at the time. Um, Eleven days later, after probation, she tested positive for, for fentanyl. Okay. Okay. Um, judge ordered her to go into inpatient. No placement could be made immediately. So they said, well, what should we do with her? It's the beginning of the Labor Day weekend. Her parents are out of town. They said, well, let's just put her back We'll just in. remand her. Remand her. Okay. So safe. Ten days later, she's in a medium security prison. Uh, went through withdrawal, but there's no Suboxone. So that that's horrible. Oh. She didn't get that. But... Um, the court kind of rubber, rubber stamped this whole thing as what, what what we're really going for is that we put the person in in jail. She's penalized for relapsing. That's really what this is about. Yeah, it is. Um, Though we we did an article a while back, I think, didn't we talk a little bit about that they're starting to look uh, at doing detox in incarceration, yes. incarcerating settings, because, you know, increasingly, particularly with the war on drugs and oh, not war on drugs, but the opiate crisis, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got people coming in and... And, and it, again, if you address it as a disease, other medical conditions are treated with medications yeah. when you are incarcerated. <clears throat> okay, so withholding those medications um, it actually has to do with, you know, human rights. It is human yeah. rights. I agree. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, I'll, I'll end with this one <clears throat> sentence uh, from Fiona DeHorty, clinical professor of law at Yale Law School and an expert on probation said that because the court did not take a position on addiction, the case was only qualified, only a qualified win for the prosecution. And so what it means is it only applies to this one person. Oh, okay. And so I, I pointed out, though, because this is kind of scary. No, it and, is. And the idea that... Well, it's a lack of education and understanding <clears throat> and stigma. Yes. Right? It's, again, that we, we still have work to do around, you know, stigma and helping people understand what, what addiction really is and what it's not. And, yeah. yeah. And so. the last thing... There's lots of room for lawyers and defendants to remount a challenge. Okay. The same drug-free condition. They can object at the time the condition is imposed and seek a full hearing on, wait for the word, the science. Oh, oh. the science. We love science, we love science here at Atypical. So, we like science. Yay. And I, you know, wait till we start remanding people because of every other condition well, known to man. Exactly. Yeah, you didn't take your insulin, woman. Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I got it. Interesting, isn't it? It's it's scary, like you said. But equally scary is it's now time it's, for our ethics challenge. Ethics. Addiction counselors acting badly. If you're an addiction counselor, you can get out your CCAP ethics codes and follow along. We do have a link on our atypical podbean.com link. Um, Gary, I'm going to read the story, and then we're going to figure out the ethics violation. Got my helmet on. Okay, ready? Ready. All right. Winnipeg woman says she developed addiction to meth in sober housing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Stephanie Seidel says the first time she tried meth was while living in a drug-free apartment (laughs) run by the Addictions Foundation (laughs) of Manitoba. Everyone was using. There was not a single person who didn't, said Seidel, 32, who was a tenant. At the River Point apartments. She said instead of being kept safe and sober in abstinence-based housing, she was exposed to methamphetamine and tried it for the first time. In January 2016, she moved into the abstinence-based traditional housing on Magnus Avitude. It's owned by uh, the nonprofit SAM Management. It's attached to River Point Care Center, which offers treatment to drug treatment to about 2,000 people a year. 
She was referred there after completing a six-month residential treatment for mental health issues and alcohol and pill use, and in fact, signed a lease, but it wasn't long before the first drug dealer moved in. Wow. So then she failed mandatory drug testing, part of her lease agreement, went to detox for five days, and then evicted for mm. failing a second drug test. I was angry and upset, and I didn't know what to do, and I felt disappointment. It just made me want to use more. Well, they don't want to comment, of course, the company, on this, this tenancy issue. <laughs> yeah, this, no, this is their tactful comment. I wouldn't ever debate somebody's perspective or perception. This is Laura Goose, I'm the director of Riverport Center. I'm not sure everybody would have been in the situation she's describing, but I wouldn't question there were people like you who are really struggling. Okay, so they do agree to, to do drug testing. Yeah. She said, you know, there's not a zero tolerance. That's why she got two chop, two chances. Okay. okay, slips are part of recovery, but if they're not committed to their recovery plan, they can be indicted. Now, they also can be evicted for engaging in behaviors to put other tenants in danger. Yes. And I would I would actually suggest that moving in drug dealers <laughs> would qualify. Yeah. That's not a good prevention. <laughs> That is an anti-prevention. Anyway, they they said, you know, the truth is, Seidel says she would not have become addicted to meth that she moved into a regular apartment instead of the sober living facility. What was her primary? Alcohol and pills. So she had never tried meth mm. until until she went into the uh, sober living housing. So anyway, that uh, was particularly this, horrifically awful. It's horrifically yeah. awful. It's, awful. It's, it's in Canada. Yes. Uh-huh. Are you implying that would never happen here, Gary? Is uh, that no, what you're it, it does happen here. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. What I was going to suggest is, as we've discussed a lot on this program, and was a topic when we went to Europe, um, the the, <laughs> the, uh, the lack of regulation yes. uh, around recovery residences, as they're now becoming known. Yeah. So look for that. Yeah. So I, I would say this is definitely principle one, but the conduct, meaning, you know, um, basically exploiting relationships, um, <laughs> not, you know, um, not providing or offering counseling services to, or fa I would say failing to offer counseling services where needed. Mm -hmm. I think there's problems with boundaries, like business relationships, obviously. Was there Drug dealing is a business. Was there a restaurant involved? Yeah, exactly. There? Remember that one? <laughs> She was using them as the help. Yeah, Woo, that was bad. Okay, so yeah, I think we've got several several violations here. And our heart goes out to, to the to the poor woman who happened to check into that particular uh, sober living facility and was introduced to methamphetamine. So there you go. This Here's another very sad story. This is just, uh, you know, uh, a Sackler update. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Now the Sacklers are being shunned all over the place. Mm. David and Josh Sackler are reportedly selling their Upper East Side apartment and moving to, wait for it, where do you think they're moving? Canada? Palm Beach, Florida. Palm Beach, Florida! Rehab. I love the Trumps. They're my neighbors. They're the my Rehab boss. Rivera. Yeah. That's, they can sell more Oxycontin because that's where all of that patient brokering is happening. Right. Of course they're going course there. They're oh, that's so smart of them. I just wanted to point out. That. <laughs> it was just a thought. And then wow. one last Sackler uh, update. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're paying, mm, the company agreed to pay $270 million in some, you know, settlement right. in Oklahoma, which is nothing when you no, look at the Not for them, money. when they get billions. And the poor family, remember, they, they made $4 billion. Yeah, they did. And so they are taking out of their own pockets $75 million, which is 2%. Wow. So that's good. These are these and other facts will be revealed later. Okay. Well, but, uh, so, there you go. Let me recover from the Sackler's 
move into the, into the rehab, rehab Riviera. Interesting <laughs> articles about prevention. Prevention, okay. Which we'll get into other types of prevention for getting rid of uh, predators and feral human beings, such as the Sacklers <laughs> and their enablers. You're going to get us sued, you know that? I uh, could get us sued. <laughs> We did have some official looking letters. We did, with in, some letterhead. In the, the lobby of the podcast, atypical <laughs> podcast offices. <laughs> but uh, so here's here's one for you. Um, it's about prevention. Okay. And I'm, this is very curious to me. This was very interesting. I, I found several articles on it, but uh, deep brain stimulation. Oh. Which, boy, that could be a lot. Exercise, travel. Right. Garden tools, yeah. gardening power tools. Gardening power tools. You light up. I do, you, like a you, Christmas tree. Yeah, you, you really do. So <laughs> that can get a little scary. Uh, so, so this deep brain stimulation, uh, this is not approved yet, but this is, as we know, many people are struggling with addiction in all shapes and forms. Some are using their lip. Lip balm, uh, lip yes. Lip balm, apparently too We've much. We've learned that today. But this is was in the Journal of Neurosurgical Focus um, with some folks from Stanford. They're looking at how mild electronic stimulation in the brain can can uh, cure some of the severe effects of alcoholism. Oh, wow, I thought that's that was interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So now for our very very uh, technically adept and educated listeners, yes, we know that alcohol stimulates the release of dopamine. Yes, we do. Uh, so that's the feel-good thing in our brain. Um, exercise does it as well. Yes, it does. All kinds of other things. But this reward uh, gets overly stimulated, as we know. Okay. And so um, the person learns to associate the psychoactive substance with the positive experience. That's right. You would say. So that's right. Let me know if I'm off. On I will. Um, so when someone drinks heavily, the brain becomes sensitized and dopamine, um, it, kind of, it kind of fades. Yeah. Which is well, it gets harder to access because yeah. it, is yeah. that what happens? Yeah, mm -hmm. and then without alcohol, which is kind of sad because yeah. even the things that used to make you happy don't make you happy anymore. Yeah, and yeah. it's our, and it's really interesting because true. that's a depressant. Yes, right, exactly. And right. so it makes you a little bit happy, but then you get too much. This stuff shuts off. The release shuts off. Then you're you're doing more. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, this seems cycle. like a, a very very bad cycle. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I I wanted to. Suggest, and I read here, the longer the person drinks, the harder it becomes to break the habit. Really? Yeah, we know and that. So we know that. Um, these circuits, though, really become, um, well, I guess it affects executive functioning. They become corrupted. That's right. At a level. That's right. So um, we all know it's devastating. I'm not going to go into the, that part of the, the idea. But here's what they're suggesting. They're using this right now to treat some aspects of Parkinson's disease. Huh. Obsessive compulsive disorder, which may help with the lip balm. <laughs> okay. But scientists have noticed that it also can reduce alcohol cravings. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they did this DBS, this, this uh, brain stimulation. They call it minimally invasive uh, brain surgery. And this, again, they place these stimulators in the brain to restore normal functioning of the region known to be dysfunctional. And so when the patients, when they receive this small dose in this area, they've noticed that there's been improvement. Huh. So for example, um, it's, I'm going to try this word, the nucleus accumbens. That's right. You know this. I do. See, I don't, folks. So it's triggered when patients anticipate a reward. Mm -hmm. And so this, this this thing gets in there and they talk about yeah. how this 54-year-old man was struggling with severe anxiety, secondary depressive disorder. 
and severe alcohol dependency with daily alcohol consumption of more than 10 drinks a day. Wow, okay. Patient was previously hospitalized. We, we know what happens with folks. Oh, absolutely. So we, all these are our folks. Yeah. Um, same study treated another 69-year-old man with more than 30-year history of alcohol dependence who drank more than 200 grams of alcohol daily. Wow, okay. Which I'm not sure what that, how much that is. It's a lot. Um, nothing, of course, worked. DBS therapy began. Uh, the person was able to reduce their consumption and was abstinent after one year. After one year. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. I, I think, though, that the concern I have is the word minimal brain surgery. <laughs> Minimally invasive. I've never... Minimally invasive brain yeah, surgery. Never so I never those things together. I don't normally use that in a sentence. Mm -mm. So I would want to learn a little more about that. Um, I do know there's TMS, which is the you know transdermal um, stuff that they're doing um, around stimulation of the brain mm -hmm. for different kinds of medic uh, uh, mental health disorders. Yeah, but I don't know if it's been tried for uh, addiction. So what's that's your, interesting. What's your thought on on you know, this this opened up a lot of uh, thoughts for me, and one was, so you treat this, and the person's cravings and stuff go down. Yeah. But what what else could happen? Can something else happen? What, was there a primary cause that was making compelling the person to want to drink more and more and more? Well, I think what happens is, is you have the yeah the co-occurring. So yeah, you might have a history of early trauma, mm -hmm. and they may have addressed their trauma by numbing out with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you pull the alcohol out, the early trauma is still going to be still there. there, right? But also, even if there wasn't, uh, in a history of drinking and using, you have a lot of behavior changes mm -hmm. to accommodate the fact that you're increasingly uh, lying, mm -hmm. um, you're increasingly under the radar, not accountable. You, there's a lot of things that you have to adapt in your behaviors to keep your drinking and using history going, mm -hmm. those behaviors are slow to change. So that's why even though we have craving management, you know, like with methadone and suboxone, we can manage cravings, mm -hmm. but it has to accompany with therapy and treatment yeah. because you still need more tools mm -hmm. to change those behaviors. So even if there was a magic pill, which we keep looking for, right? The magic, you're no longer an alcoholic pill, mm -hmm. you could get rid of your cravings, that those behaviors are still going to take a while to change. And that's how this sounded to me. It, okay. The pill was just, you know. Yeah, it helps with the craving. Minimal, minimal brain, brain surgery. surgery. Okay. Which some people think I need. <laughs> you know, okay. I was like, but what do you put in it? Exactly, yeah. It has to be concurrent to something. Though. Yeah, the, the cravings are part, they're, they're a huge part. Yeah. But we, we can do that now, uh, even without brain surgery. We can manage cravings. Mm -hmm. but But at the same time, we have, you know, those old behaviors that wind up taking you back where you started. So, and this is, yeah. uh, I should point out, this is not approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Uh, they will approve other things that are really, really dangerous to the populace, but they won't. <laughs> But, that, yeah, but it's I mean, still, I think it's worthy research. Yeah. I do. And I think, you know, anything we can do, particularly the people you're talking about, they're at co-occurring. So they had mental health issues on top of um, uh, the alcohol dependence. And mm -hmm. so, and because they're the same neurotransmitter networks, like uh, norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, those are the same thing with mental health issues as the same neurotransmitters as with addiction. Mm -hmm. It would make sense that particularly if you had both of those things going, that that some sort of intervention like this would be very helpful. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That makes a so, lot of sense. But it's not. To me. It's not. It's. But it's not, not a, a cure. Fix. Yeah. No, it's not, not a cure. A so there's still cure. a lot of heavy lifting and work that needs to go yeah. along with. But it's it. interesting. But it is encouraging. And what I really liked about this is I'm thinking of the collateral damage that occurs when people are suffering this way uh -huh. in families and 
communities. Absolutely. That would be certainly minimized and we can focus more on the individual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Changing the behaviors. Yeah. 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 You got cool. it. Super cool. Okay, Gary, we're coming to our last section, humility check moment this week, which reminds us not to take ourselves too seriously, a key to burnout prevention and humility. Who's got something? I you, know we both do. You, you, you do. I, so, have a, I know you do, too. I have an archival one. You have an archival one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Should I? Go ahead. Let's okay, do it. This, this has a bit of, um, I'm not sure what to say about this. It, it, it has a bit of spirituality in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was when I was re just getting into human services and education. This is years ago. I came out of school and I worked at a very small meeting, two employees, uh, incubator grant program. Oh, okay. Part of the United Way. Some of you oh, know okay. United, United Way. Way here locally. And uh, it was a half-time job and I got to work in the schools and all that. And so we shared space. The key to the story is we shared space in uh, the United Way's building. Oh, that's a so nice building, nice. actually. And we had a really uh, competent executive director who was trying to build the program and we got this seed money and all that. And, and so part of being an incubator is we get to use all the cool stuff oh, that United Way had. That's true. Plus they had all kinds of nice people and, and their copiers and all this stuff. And so, um, you know, one day uh, I'm a pretty mindful fellow and um, at times and <laughs> I walked in this really large, you know, copy room and, and I saw my boss there, the executive director, um, and she came walking out, and um, she was, you know, a fairly uh, devout religious person, oh, had okay. a spiritual practice. And I pointed out to her that she had some toner on her forehead. Some toner on her forehead. Oh no! Oh, oh no! Oh no! Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> she looked at me. <laughs> it happened to be a Wednesday. Oh no! It happened, it to, be a Wednesday. It happened to be a Wednesday. And she looked at me. <laughs> As if, as if I needed some type of minimally invasive deep brain stimulation. And she had the stuff in her hand. And I looked at her and I said, uh, forget that. Because I should know better. Yes, you should. Yeah, bless her heart. I didn't get fired. And, uh, you know. and then, of course, I saw other people with children on their head throughout the day as well. But I imagine you were quite as helpful to them. Re reinforcing. <laughs> I am truly. Who is the pagan in this room? Yeah. That's the sad part. I know better because I wasn't ready. I was you ready to certain way. You do know better. Anyway. Toner on your forehead. Yeah. Oh, my God. Coming out of the printer room. Oh, that's Copper. bad, Gary. That's, Woo, a... that's bad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. I have I have a very special one for you <laughs> <laughs> because, because it involves a power oh, tool. Oh, I know. And I know you love it. In fact, in fact, this week, I even brought, and unfortunately, our listeners can't hear it, but a, a piece of fabric. It's a and very it's light fabric. Torn. It is short. It is, it, it is for show and tell so that Gary understands the story I'm about to tell. This is getting scary. Okay. Folks, so what I'm looking at is a very nice fabric yeah. that looks like it went through a mower. Yes. Okay. So let me explain what happened. Okay. Okay. So I, <laughs> I have been... <laughs> or, or you were running with the bulls. I'm not sure. <laughs> Can't I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I, I was putting out some additional uh, new bags of lava rock. 
um, in, oh, in my front yard. And be, But before I could do that, it meant that I need to blow um, leaves and debris off of the lava rock so that I could add the new lava rock, which meant I got to go out. And I got to go in my garage and get my blower, my electric, electric blower. Oh, no. Okay, so I'm like, because I love to do me some blowing. So I'm like, okay, an excuse. So I break out the blower. I'm out there. I'm blowing away and I'm having a good old time. And then I realized, because I had put down a new set of, a new uh, a new thing with rocks and lava uh, and in another strip part of my, my front. And I thought, well, I'll just go on over there and do me some blowing. And <laughs> on my way over, Gary, all of a sudden... Can I ask you, were you feeling kind of euphoric? I was. I was, I was enjoying myself. And all of a sudden, I turn my blower to the other rocks, and I hear, zoop! And all of a sudden, I start... I <laughs> My <laughs> my blower locks up. So and what has happened, Gary? The intake of the blower. Yeah, it, it, it locks up. That was it. And what had happened, Gary, was, see, I wear this... <laughs> Can I ask why you might be? Wait, can I ask why you might be wearing a, Steve, a flowing Stevie Nicks type of fabric when the Fleetwood Mac or something with a blower? Because Gary, as you notice, I have no melanin. I'm very white, and so I have to wear fabrics well, over me when I'm this, gardening. You were half naked, so, and, well, yeah. I for I had I had this beautiful kimono jacket on over my regular t shirt <laughs> because I didn't I know, but it was thin and I had it in the closet. And so I thought, well you know this way I won't get sunburned. And so I had it on and Gary, my beautiful kimono well, I was not it. and it got sucked up oh, and then God. I couldn't get it out. So I thought, okay, well I better unplug it. Oh God, because I was afraid it'd catch there, on fire. Was it burning a smell? So I not yet but I thought this can't be good and so then so I plugged it and I sat on the porch and, oh, and Gary I spent 20 minutes digging the fabric out of the, you, of the blower please tell me you unplugged it I did okay. because I did notice that I should it. probably unplug it before I get out the knife and start digging around in it this is and anyway so I brought it for show and tell because I have you know now now this is the corner of the jacket so I can still wear said jacket no, no. it's only that it is now shorter <laughs> Folks, you don't see it. It looks like a loincloth right now. So, you know, ripped rip a chunk out of this whatever thing you were wearing. I can't well, it's weird because it was lightweight. And Gary, it never occurred to me that one should not wear flowing garments when using power tools. That, so I have now learned yet another gardening tip for for, for frequently listeners. Do not wear flowing garments get some when using you know, gardening power tools. Tools. Were you trying to look good? <laughs> no, it's just that it was thin. It was so hot people do outside. That. They go to the store and they're all no, dressed up. No, it's and... just that it was hot outside. In fact, I was wearing a god-awful shirt underneath it that didn't even match. But oh, I was gosh, hoping horrible. it would keep me, you Good know, morning. from sunburn. Really? Anyway, Gary, I couldn't. This is horrible. The best part of the story was that I knew I was going to get to tell it to you. <laughs> and no one drove by and she doesn't have a. <laughs> no 290 involved. public nudity. That's good. I just I could not wait to tell you that story, and I, I and in know. fact it had this is getting scary. The fact that the I had audience. visual aids was yeah, even better for okay, me. Okay, we we're gonna have to talk off air about this. <laughs> this is getting scary. Next thing you're gonna look, what happened to my, this small animal? <laughs> 
okay. Yeah, when I have these little mishaps, you are my first They're thought. Little, <laughs> I don't call ripping clothing off you. That's a mishap. That's not a mishap. That's a near miss. It just got sucked right up miss. into that engine. Yeah, it's that was not mishap. good. It's a near miss. <laughs> not good. So anyway. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay, so on that note, I want to thank you all for joining us after our hiatus, our running around in, in Europe uh, entertaining people. Yes. And we will look forward to seeing you in our next episode of Atypical. Take, Take care. care. Take care.